All right. Well, we're going to get started. Um, but we're going to worship God this morning. And um, as we begin to worship, one of my favorite passages that outlines really gives us an undergirding purpose of worship is this. It says that God inhabits the praises of his people. That means your, your praise is a container. Your praise creates a place for God to land upon. The presence of God doesn't, I mean, God is omniscient in terms that he, he's everywhere in that one sense, but his manifest presence is local. Right When he was on the burning bush, there was a local manifestation greater than any other manifestation for miles around. When he was walking with Israel through the wilderness, there was a manifest presence that was there greater than what was in Egypt where they had come from. And so there's a locality to God's manifestation. And what is it that causes God to be manifest? God infuses himself into our worship. God inhabits the praises of his people. That when you say hallelujah, when you say great is our God, when you lift up your voice and when your mouth utters who he really is, God takes the faith of that and the worship of that and the honor of that and somehow it, it, it converges for a manifestation of him in your worship. Isn't that a great thought? I mean, God is looking to manifest himself, but he needs worshipers, is what he's saying. Kind of like what Jesus said when he said, the Father is looking for worshipers, those who will worship in spirit and in truth. So let's, let's take this honor that we have this morning to, to say, God, here today, come, Lord, as we exalt you. As we say no to the lies and the voices that would say, you're not a good God, you're not real, you don't care. We say, no, you are a good God. You are a loving God. You are perfect in all of your ways. And we honor and revere you today. Manifest yourself, Lord, in the midst of our praise. In Jesus' name. So there's a saying at Christmas time that we always say, and it's, it's better to give, then receive. How many people actually believe that? <laughs> okay, good. Some of you do. It was hard for me to understand that as a kid, and I actually probably didn't understand that until I was well into my adulthood. But it is actually better to give than receive. Right now, we have an opportunity to actually experience, experience that very thing. You see, a lot of the time we come to church and we come with the expectation that, well, I better be fed today, otherwise, what was the point? And I want to say, I want to maybe make an observation that, what if that was incorrect? What if that was an incorrect expectation? What if you could be fed by giving? You see, we say it at Christmas all the time. It's better to give than receive. And many of you stuck up your hand and said you believe that. Well, maybe our posture, maybe our idea of worship has been skewed a little bit. Maybe by us giving worship to God, 
will receive from that posture versus the other way around. And so this morning, as you're there wondering, okay, what am I supposed to do now? Give. I know it goes against a lot of things in us naturally, but I'm telling you, if it works on a physical level, if it works in a physical on the earth, how much more does it work in the spirit? And so this morning, I want to encourage us right now to, this is the time to actually give to the Lord. Does he not give us breath every single day? Does he not provide all of the necessity? Does he not make the world spin and all the stars hang in place? He's in complete control of everything. And if I can give to him this morning, if I can give anything of myself to him, I want to do that. The amazing part of this all is, is that when we learn to give this way, the reward is outstandingly mind-blowing. It's just a little switch of our expectation. So Lord, I pray this morning that that switch would be flipped. That we'd actually be a giving people. A people that would give freely to you. Because you are worthy of all my praise and all my worship. So in pre-service prayer this morning, while we were praying, I'm, I just had this sense of like a courtroom filling up with people, filling up in the audience around, and it's like the summoning to a courtroom. And this cry came up inside me, summon the witnesses. And so we're in this place where we're singing this thing about God is good and his love never fails. And I feel like what's going on is the world around us has put God on trial. Is he really good? Look at all this stuff. And I feel like we're in this place where the Spirit is calling for witnesses in favor of God. And so something in your spirit is probably stirring and needs to respond to declare the goodness of God. And needs to declare, this is what He's done for me. And this is who He really is. And this is how He actually behaves. And so there's a stirring that let the witnesses come forth declaring in favor of the one who is on trial. Character witnesses, those who have seen his handiwork, come forth, declare with your mouths in favor of the one on trial. Because I feel like there's a judgment that if we can get enough witnesses, the judgment of the court will be passed. That he is suddenly able to move forward and do the things that we've longed for at a greater measure. But let the witnesses come forth. So God, even myself, I will say, you have never failed me. You have always provided food for my table. You have always made sure there's shelter over my family. You have always provided direction. You have not failed. Your love endures even where I have been faithless and I have sinned and I have fallen and I have betrayed you. Your love has not turned, faltered, or held back. You continue to love. God, your character is impeccable. Your ways are perfect. We delight in your goodness because you always bring us back to the path. Come on, let's just declare it. You are good. God, we declare today, you are good. You are good. Let your ears hear your own voice. Say it. You are good. God, you are good. I declare today, I declare to myself and to witnesses around that God is good. 
the author of every good thing, that every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there's no shadow of change. You are perfect in all your ways. You know, there's, uh, prophetically, it's like when we say these things, Paul said we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. What if God was taking your word and shooting him like an arrow across the landscape of this land? Because in every sector, all over, across the media and colleges and in, in, in uh, numerous locations, people are actually declaring that this God, the Christian God, is evil. And is there a voice? Is there a sound? And part of what's happening is we ourselves are being tested because God is trying to get you to say God is good in every circumstance of your life. You know, Job, what was happening with Job is he was, it was easy to say that God was good so long as I was prospering and everything was great. I was in good health. I had many children. I had lands and flocks. And God is good. God is good. God is good. But God knew that deep in his heart there was a doubt about that. And that doubt would come to the surface under the conditions. And the question is, now when these conditions come upon you, and he was very close to, to cursing God. His wife even said, curse God and die. That is the continuous struggle of faith. Do you believe or do you not believe? And sometimes we hide from the fact that there is something inside of us when we are discouraged, when things aren't going well, that resonates with that sound of the world that maybe, maybe God isn't as good as I thought. Maybe, you know, I can't as boldly say, proclaim in this moment that God is good. Why? Because something inside you is quivering and resonating with a lie. And God's, God's work is to bring out of you, bring that re repentance out of you from that thing so that you can say in every situation, God is good. God is good. God is good. No matter what, God is good. I believe God is good. I, I believe God is good. I believe God is good. Do you believe? And if you believe, will your mouth speak today? God is good. And the accusation coming against God, even as, as many of you are aware, you know, in the Senate of the United States this past week, the accusation that God is not good actually comes from our own pride in, in, in not being able to deal with God's holiness so God is holy, which means he cannot tolerate sin. We cannot, in many ways, not sin. And so when we demand that we have to be able to cleanse ourselves, we see God, we cannot cleanse ourselves, so we see God as unfair. Except that he made a way. So we don't have to be clean that way. We do not have to clean ourselves. The blood of Jesus Christ cleans us and covers our sin. So it's not about trying to be sinless. And this accusation against God keeps coming from those who cannot accept the idea that sin is unacceptable. Because they feel in themselves, but I can't help it. They would never admit it. Instead of admitting that I can't help it, they say, it's not really sin. 
It can't be sin because I can't stop. And if God's going to judge sin, then God's not fair. But he's not judging your sin. He's covering it. He's forgiving it. He's putting it away. So God is good. God is good. And when the accusation comes, how can your God whatever? The answer is because he made a way. He made a way. He is good. In Isaiah 54, sing, O barren one, you who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud. You who did not travail with child, for children of the desolate one will be more than the children of the married wife, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Spare not. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes for you will spread abroad to the right hand and to the left and your offspring will possess the nations and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Fear not for you shall not be ashamed neither be confounded or depressed for you shall not be put to shame. You will remember your shame no more for you shall forget the shame of your youth and you shall not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. For your, wake, your maker is your husband man. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth. He is called Lord of all. You know, I just want to pause for a second. I, I'm going to put somebody on the spot. Paul Captain, I'm, I want you to come forward. You know, here's a man who, uh, for a number of years, and I want him to tell his testimony, was, was being tested by this because his body was eroding in a tremendous way. And during that time, he had many opportunities to say, God is not good because the evidence of it is not before me. But I want him to share a little bit of that testimony. I don't know if everybody knows how sick you were, but... Uh, I was initially injured right after we got married and um, knee surgeries and told I'd be in a wheelchair at 35. I uh, walked with knee braces and crutches for a long time and then I started to get sick. And I don't think in our whole married life I had more than three or four months without losing time off from being sick. But God always provided, always. Um, we had people steal from us. We had houses taken from us. And a year ago, I was healed. I saw my doctor a couple weeks ago on Saturday, and, and he says, well... Yeah, you're diabetic, but your blood doesn't look like it. Your liver, your spleen, your kidneys, everything's working. He says, we must have figured you out. <laughs> I didn't ask him why my knees didn't hurt anymore. <laughs> but um, God has been so faithful to my family. Uh, my, my kids, in spite of me, follow the Lord. Twenty-eight. 
I had um, just this past week, we had prayer for my knee again. And that was an injury. That has nothing to do with my previous thing. It, it's a bursitis. Um, on the weekend, we had a family reunion. I wanted to show my family how good I was. And I couldn't because I was sore. But we prayed. Ben prayed. And the next day, I could walk into a into um, Alora Gorge with my boys. Wasn't able to walk across the lawn the day before. He continues to heal. Amen. 28 years. Can you say in every circumstance of your life, God is good? Is there anything that holds those words? Do those words sit like a rock in your belly? Or can you say it unashamedly with boldness, continuously? It doesn't matter what's happening. God never changes. I believe God never changes. Hallelujah. Are you going to sing something? Or? Okay, let's sing something that celebrates God. And see... One of my pastor's greatest sayings is this. It says, don't doubt in the dark what you saw in the light. Let me say that again. Don't doubt in the dark what you saw in the light. There's always going to be seasons when what you knew to be true begins to fade and you can't see it. Faith is able to hold on to it. You can hold on to it. And the longer you hold on to that, and the more something becomes entrenched in you, something becomes established, and then you can say like Job, before I knew you by the hearing of my ear, but now I really know you. That's our journey. Our knowledge of God goes from superficial to concrete, shallow to deep. So, Father, give us the kind of faith that overcomes the world, that overcomes all adversity, all, all adversity, that causes us to stand in the day of battle and say, I shall not be moved. Can you say amen? All right. Chrissy? Chris? You know, what a beautiful morning. I was uh, reminded of so many things uh, just in these last 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, I was thinking of a story Della shared in our church probably two, three, four years ago about Amy. And I was thinking of, uh, uh, if you guys remember, her daughter Amy grew up with uh, an eye problem and she couldn't actually open her eye fully. And uh, Della prayed for it for how many years? 21 years? About 21 years. And 21 years of praying. Well, 21 years later, all of a sudden, they go to the doctors, and the doctors say, we actually have this new thing we can do, and they took a muscle out of her leg, right, and put it in her eye. 21 years later, God is faithful. That's who he is. He's a good God. He meets all our needs. And I was thinking about last weekend, I had the honor and the privilege of marrying my sister last Sunday at uh, uh, my parents' farm, in a sense, and uh, they kind of rent it. Um, I did. I performed the wedding. Yes, I did, Yes, I didn't marry my sister. I, yes, thank you for clarifying. That would be weird 
Yes, thanks. Only Jesse, right? Uh, <laughs> but it was interesting because my parents uh, originally, they had moved to that land like, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. And when they moved there, there were two older individuals who actually lived on the land. And uh, they're faithful Christian men, but I don't know, as a young person, I would say they were a little religious. And they had built all these old buildings, tons of them, and almost like going into Fort Edmonton Park or whatever. And they had put religious scripture all over all of it, everywhere, everywhere you went, hellfire and salvation and crosses and this and that, everywhere you went. And I remember going there and just saying, Mom, what have you got yourself into? You know, this seems a little crazy and whacked and all that. Well, I mean, 20-some years have gone by, and I do my sister's wedding there this past weekend. These men have passed on years ago. And my sister gets married there, and there's over 100 people there. Most of them, I'd say 90% non-believers. And I watched them walk around the land. And all they were doing was reading the scripture and taking pictures. And then they knew I was a pastor. And all of a sudden, the questions that were coming from these people, I just sat there and thought, God, you are so faithful to these men who I thought were weird, but they were diligent to do something you felt you needed to do for such a time as this. God is faithful. Even if you're not seeing it now, these men are seeing it in heaven. And that brought joy to my heart. That's the God we serve. He is a good God. Amen. I had to buy $10 worth of Smarties to get about that many red ones. Yeah. The other ones? <laughs> <laughs> I do like Smarties. So uh, we want to we leave this up as a memento of a, of a truth. If you're, not, if you're confused today as to what truth we're referring to, I will refer you back three weeks to a message that can be heard online uh, entitled, Do You Eat the Red Ones Last? And uh, you'll realize what that's, what's that, what that's about. But... For those of you that know, remember who you are, a chosen generation, a chosen generation. Amen? Amen. Praise God. So Father, we want to thank you for what you're doing in the earth today. And we want to say yes and amen. We receive what you're doing. We believe you. We believe you have a plan and we believe your Holy Spirit is leading us into that plan in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, is that not a great testimony? Let me tell you a couple of things that I love about this. To me, the circumstances of this elevate two things. First of all, is the need of people right now, right now. This day in your life, there are people pining and looking for Jesus, though they don't even know what they're looking for. That need is consistent. It's all going on around you all the time. Sometimes we take that for granted because we're so caught up in our particular phase of this journey. You know, we, we, we are on this, this trajectory and God is doing such and such in our life. And we are aware usually of the things that are going on equal in our lives to what's going on in other lives. So when others, are, we, we identify, we associate. But let me tell you, 
Hundreds of thousands of people across this province today in our city are at this point of convergence right now where, where uh, they're looking for answers and they will find them. They will find Jesus. Jesus will find these people and he will speak to them. The second thing that really stuck out to me about this, this video is the abilities, the uncanny convergence uh, uh, of circumstances that only God can orchestrate, only the Holy Spirit can make happen. I mean, you know, it, it, it's, it's, you get, feel the goosebumps on yourself, like when she's talking on the phone and that woman, and I mean, it's like, this is crazy. How could this happen? What if, what if the ability for the Holy Spirit to do that in our community was contingent upon your faith? What if, see, when, I, when we started this service this morning, we began to pray, and we began to say uh, this, that um, God inhabits the praises of his people. And so that means this, is that means that any given moment, in any geographic mo- location, there's either more or less of God in that moment than at any other time. In other words, the presence of God, the manifestation, the, 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 the electrical impulse, the feeling ability of who God is and knowing him is greater at one moment than it is at another moment. And what determines the greatness of that? A lot of circumstances, but a lot of it is you. You are the carriers of God's presence. You are the carriers of God's glory. And what your journey is largely about here is do you believe this and can you do this? Can you go into a room and speak what you know to be true and unleash the Holy Spirit's ability to take the weightiness of that truth and boom, into somebody's heart without having it even explained appropriately? Now, you know, even at the end here, when she, she's giving her testimony, she, she can't even explain why it's true. This is not predicated upon certain historical facts. I know this to be true. Why? Because the Holy Spirit took the reality of that thing and bang, put it into my heart. Now, do you believe today as Christians that that's how evangelism happens? We, ideally, yes, exactly. Yeah, but the truth is, many of us are embarrassed about bringing people to church. Why? They may not understand. They may not this or they may not that. It's not our job to take that reality and do it for them. The Bible says that those that hunger and thirst for righteousness will be continuously lost. I'm hoping more people will correct me. (laughs) Those that hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. That the, The equation of how God moves by his Holy Spirit in the lives of people is is based on supernatural circumstances, not your capacity to perfectly articulate exactly what you believe without flaws. That, you know, the Holy Spirit is more eager to demonstrate Jesus and show Jesus to people in your life than you are. I mean, that's the power of this thing. And so I believe that we are coming to a new time of unleashing the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we've talked about this before, and, you know, sometimes we get caught up in in some of the negativity 
Uh, and we don't need to ignore the negativity, but this is, this is, no, listen, God is greater. That's it. God is just greater. God is greater. God can do this. You know, uh, and, and this woman is not Saul of Tarsus persecuting the Christians, but God can equally make this thing true for, for a Saul of Tarsus figure in our lives. And so what are you believing for right now? Do you believe that, you know, when you're on a, a sales call at somebody's house, you're checking out their air conditioning, or you're coming up to the door when you knock on the door, you know that the Bible says that, that you carry a presence of God that is to those who are perishing the sense of death and to those who are alive. It, like there is something going on beyond the words that you're speaking uh, that, that is spiritual and a manifestation of the kingdom of God. And, and part of the making this effective is you actually believing it. And this is why, you know, all the disciplines in your life, the, what you do in prayer, what you do in devotion, what you do as you're building your faith, is to believe that every place that my foot, God is with me. Everywhere I go, God is with me. God is with me. God is with me. It doesn't mean everybody's going to accept. doesn't mean everybody's going to understand. doesn't mean everybody's going to pray the prayer. But, but it gives them a chance to, to at least see this Jesus. And here's the beautiful thing is you don't even have to be overtly evangelizing for that thing to begin, right? I mean, you know, the lady prayed for her, you know, and she began to feel that electricity. But sometimes, and I've shared this story before, sometimes the Holy Ghost just creates an atmosphere if, he, you know, to the degree that he's with you that people just like. They just like it when you're around. Oh, how many of you, that's the testimony? that People just love to be around me because they say there's something about being around you. Is that, is that the truth for everybody? Anyway, we won't go there. But uh, I remember this story a few years ago, and I'm, I'm, I'm sort of down a path I didn't mean to go, but I'll come back in a minute. John Wimber was standing at a bus stop, and uh, he, God had been training him about the manifest presence of God. And he had learned about you know, the, the continuous uh, manifestation of God in his life. And so he's standing at the bus stop, and there's, a, you know, people waiting for the bus, and, and one guy comes up, and he stands back, and he, he feels him coming closer and closer. And next you know, he's standing so close, he doesn't need to that close, but he's standing so close, he's almost rubbing up against him. And he turns to him and he says, feels good, don't it? That's the Holy Ghost. Now, that hasn't been my experience yet. I mean, my shadow is not cause, you know, falling on the sick and them getting healed. But these are the dimensions, uh, not of my perfections, but the unleashed capacity of the Holy Spirit. And what this testimony causes for me, it causes me to understand the heart of God, that God is more intent on manifesting the reality of Jesus than I can do that. That, that so much of this does not rest upon my cleverness. And so, God, I pray today that a new faith will be found in us to begin to believe in the capacity of the Holy Spirit to bring moments of convergence in people's lives, convergence, so that, Lord, little things that we're going to say as we just share the simplicity of our life, our struggles, our faith, our victories, our failures, but the reality of your love, that, it'll, that that thing will happen. God, I believe you.
Now, like you, I've often fell into those moments of time where, you know, I feel it's my job to convince this person. You know, uh, my mom tried for years to convince me to walk uprightly. Now, it wasn't a question in my case of whether I believed or not. I just, you know, I believed in God. I just didn't believe I could be good, you know, which happened to be true. <laughs> you know, <laughs> still to this day, I cannot be good in and of myself. And uh, there came a moment where, where she, the Lord confronted her and said, your, your prayers are protecting Mark from the consequence of his sin. And so ultimately, she was like Job. She was praying out of fear that I would be preserved. And God was saying, stop this. Let, let me do this. And so she began to just release me into his hand. And within three months, it was done. And I had a divine visitation while sitting in a bar. And uh, uh, here we are today. What was the difference? Uh, fear causes me to try to negotiate uh, a labyrinth of things I could never imagine, to answer all the right questions, to say the right things, to present the right ideas. I am the vehicle. I am the Holy Spirit in your life, making sure Jesus is perfectly presented to you. We are not that. We are carriers of a presence that does that. What if we could fully release the Holy Ghost? Now, um, I said this. How are we doing for time? Oh, you got at least 10 more minutes. Uh, I read an, a word this morning from James Gall, and you might want to look at it. It's a little dry in some spots because some of it is historical and factual, but um, the essence of it is that he's prophetically saying we are now in the fourth wave. And if you've ever studied anything about church history or revival history, the last wave, which encompassed you know the um, you know aspects of the charismatic movement and the you know the vineyard and the word faith of you know seasons of the last you know 25, 30 years. As that, that was uh, summarized as being the third wave. The fourth wave, is, he said, is already upon us. And what it's going to do is going to propel us into a visible place in the marketplace, into the arena where it's something spilling out. And, um, and we've been talking about that for a while. You know, we've been trying to connect the dots for us as believers to say that, listen... Uh, what God wants to do is manifest his presence in the marketplace. And there's going to be many ways that that's going to happen. But I, I'm, I'm saying this today because of this primary th thing, which uh, Gavin alluded to at the end. We are in a war right now. We are in a values war. We are in a spiritual war right now that has be is becoming increasingly real. And if you don't realize the place that we're at, go and study the progression of Nazi Germany and what happened there to the Jews. And when they began to be excluded from uh, public life, you know, as doctors and lawyers and those kinds of I mean, first of all, there was an anti-Semitic flavor in, the, in Germany where Jews were being blamed for being things. Well, you know what? We are right there right now. Christians are beginning to be blamed. There is a voice rising up, and if that voice is not stopped, 
it's going to bring us to the same place that the, uh, the Jews were brought to in Etsy, Germany. Well, just, I, th- I think that's what you're referencing, the Bernie Sanders uh, episode this last week in the Senate hearing where a certain uh, conservative person was being, uh, there's a pr- council that uh, either appoints this person and approves his appointment or whatever. Anyway, Bernie Sanders was objecting to this person only on the basis that they were Christian. They were saying they were unfit for public service on the basis, and this basis alone, that they were Christian. I mean, this is not being done in a corner now. This is not being done subtly. This is out open in your face. And it's worse in Canada. Right now in the Liberal Party, you cannot publicly hold a position uh, other than the prescribed position of, of, of Justin Trudeau around abortion. If you do not ascribe or hold publicly to that position, you may not be a member of the Liberal Caucus in Canada. I mean, that's unheard of. His dad was a pro-lifer. Did you know that? Pierre Elliott Trudeau was pro-life. I mean, there's a great quote where he says, listen, that, that thing in you is not your body. You know. He said it more eloquently than that, but well, that was a summation of his, of his position. So we are in something right now. But uh, let me say a couple of things about that. Now, we need to engage. We need to realize the place we're at. We need to, to, to you know, uh, and, and the point is our safe lives. You may think, well, I'm not close to the conflict right now, but the conflict will come. The Jews in, one, in, in the countryside said, well, that's just in Kiev. That's just in Berlin. That's just, it, yeah, if you leave it, it's coming to you, believe me, and you will lose everything you have, which they did. So we need to realize we can't hide in the safety of our little worlds where in my situation, if I just keep my P's and Q's to myself, I'll be all right. It's not true, all right? Uh, but having said that, so we need to engage, but let me say this. God said, and how many, I wrote an article a few, about a month and a half ago, that God said, let the tares grow up together with the wheat. Remember that? God said, let the tares grow. So God's, God's not saying, listen, I want you to eradicate evil before it, uh, it comes to maturity. No, he said, I have a plan for seeing evil come to maturity. Uh, but my plan is that, that the wheat and the, and the tares can be differentiated, that qualitatively, as they come to maturity, people will start to say, uh, that's not what I thought I was getting into. And I mean, you're seeing that to some degree right now, where you're starting to see the hatred, the animosity, the, 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 uh, the vilification of righteous people from the political left in some of these arenas. There's people are who are part of those worlds are beginning to say, no, this is not what I thought it was. This is not right. And so sometimes one of the ways that God pushes us in the direction of righteousness is when we begin to see just how vile and, uh, and, and uh, terrible unrighteousness is. And so God, God is presently doing that. But God is also doing this. He's also preparing a wave of the Holy Spirit in the midst of the battle, right, right today. And everything he's been doing in your life. 
everything he's been doing inside of you to, to get you to side with righteousness is ultimately so that you can be part of standing in the day of his power. My people will be volunteers in the day of my power. And so there's something going on right now uh, that we have to be aware of, but we don't have to fear because we know where it's going. I mean, uh, now let me backtrack for a bit. Yesterday, there's something that needs to happen in the public square as, as we move forward here. And a part of what God is trying to do is get Christians to engage in the public square you know, about what you believe. But, you know, we need to find out, A, what to say, what it is we believe, and how do you articulate that God is love. And that, that, is, that is something that's going on. But let me say this. All of that is defense. Okay? All of that is defense. Everything that we do in terms of being a voice and being in media and being, being uh, you know, lawyers and, and all of that, it's all good and we need to do that, but it's all defense. Why? Because uh, legalized righteousness cannot be sustained. Let me, let me say this. God never intended laws to be the vehicle to preserve righteousness in a nation. Laws only slow down the advance of unrighteousness. You hear what I'm saying? Laws cannot entrench righteousness in your heart. Laws only impede the growth of unrighteousness. That's all they can do. And so that's defense. You know, when you have a, a hockey team, we'll go back to hockey, not soccer. Hockey team, you win by scoring goals. Okay. You, you win by defensively not letting the other team scoring goals, but you've got to score goals. There's, there's got to be an offense, and then there's a defense. Defense is don't let them advance, but offense is we advance. Now, a critical thing happened in the 60s when God began to move by his spirit, and you know we happen to be a part of a culture that's you know Pentecostal or charismatic or however you want to call it, and so we've been a people that we could say, well, we embrace the Holy Ghost. We embrace what God was doing in, the, in that era and the era after that and the era after that. And that may be true, but in the larger scheme of things, it's like one in 100 churches embraced what the Holy Spirit was doing. Or less. It may be even less because, I mean, you know, uh, I don't know what the demographics of churches were, but I'm sure that the Anglican and the, you know, uh, uh, the Episcopalians and United... Of course, the United didn't exist back then. Uh, but all of those 90%, 99% of churches did not go with what the Holy Spirit was doing. But, but it's the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit that gives life. Yeah. And so what the church missed in the 60s and in many generations is the wave of the Holy Ghost that actually could cause righteousness to flourish. We, why, why did they, well, we didn't really need it. Why? Because our society, our structure, we were the most moral people in the world. We had a legalist system that was based on the word of God, and we had all of these righteousness things built into our culture, and all of this was causing us to have a happy life. And so, what do we need? All that Holy Ghost spooky stuff, you know? Uh, and, and let's just hold on to what we got. But we didn't, they didn't realize the wave of ungodliness that was coming, that only an opposite wave, much greater of the Holy Ghost, that needed to be embraced, would have actually been the only thing to keep 
that righteousness that was in our institutions, in our laws, in our, in our, in our social systems from being eroded. Those things are there, but they will be eroded unless we have an offense. And the offense is spirit and life. The offense is a manifestation of the Holy Ghost. And when I hear this word about the fourth wave, I hear the sound of a wave that's coming that is full of the abilities of the Holy Spirit to do this in somebody's life, but more than this, to actually uh, dismantle the arguments and the thoughts and the lives of the people right now who are vehemently disposed to kill you. Wow. What if we were the ones that could believe for that and see it manifested in our region? That's where it starts. Do I believe in the Holy Spirit's power to convict people of sin, to convict people of righteousness, to convict people of judgment? Uh, Do I believe that? Well, you know, how do you believe it? Start bringing people to your church. Start bringing people to your home and sharing with Let's do a Bible study in my home. Do you, we want to do a Bible study on who God is. Uh, you, would you be interested in that? And, you know, it's amazing. But part of it, you know, and again, charismatic, we think, well, you know, well, my friends are very sophisticated and they're, they're very intellectual. And, you know, if I do the spooky things, I'll be downgraded in their mind and blah, 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 blah. I just want to hold on to my lifestyle as it is. I want to protect my reputation. I want to protect people's opinion of me as it is right now. You know, I'm, I'm, I got that Holy Ghost stuff, but I'm not spooky. You know, I've seen the spooky ones. And again, it's not about being spooky, but it's about believing that the Holy Spirit can begin to come upon people in our lives when we bring them into our lives, into these environments. I mean, not everybody. This, this, this woman, she, she stepped forward. She had an active interest in knowing who Jesus was. Not everybody's going to come that way. Not everybody's going to be knocking on your door and, can you tell me about Jesus, please? That's why Jesus said, you go and make disciples. You go and do this. Yeah, but, you know... I, I want a proper presentation of the gospel for my unsaved friends. The prescription for salvation is simple. Those that hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. We want to unleash the Holy Spirit upon people who are hungry, and the convergence will happen. If the convergence doesn't happen, okay, well, it's because, you know, that one person in our church that always, I was hoping they wouldn't come close, but yeah, then they come up and start talking about all their, and that's why my friend didn't get saved. No. If people don't get saved, I mean, think about it. Here, these, these are the kinds of truths that really need to, need to propel our faith. Those that hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. Not those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and come into the church at the opportune moment when the gospel is articulated clearly and effectively without any spookiness, then they will get saved. There's a hurdle. When you really want righteousness, you're willing to jump over the hurdles. Those hurdles are there on purpose to break something 
in the one to give them, so they're making that choice. I could go with this or I could go with this. My hunger says go with this. I trust the Holy Spirit. Now, are there, are there things we can do? I think so. I think so. I think, you know, uh, we were talking about this, you know, you, we, you can have prophetic 401, prophetic 301, prophetic 201. You know, actually there is, there is some guidance in the scripture where, you know, when we don't need to throw people into the deep end, right? And, uh, but the deep end may not be what you think it is. Because in the book of Corinthians, it said when somebody comes in and they hear prophecy and, and tongues and, and they're convicted and their hearts are revealed. So it was all supernatural stuff that's actually causing their hearts to be revealed. This whole idea, well, we want to avoid anything supernatural because people are uncomfortable with that. No, actually, they're all going to New Age fairs and they're going to the psychic healers and they're going to all these people because they want the supernatural. And they're not being given the supernatural. That's why they're there. They go by the thousands to these fairs and these things. Uh, you know, right now, in fact, Mike Danforth has an outreach where he specifically goes and sets up a booth and talks to people about the Lord at these places because he said they're actually, they're spinny, they're emotional, they're, he said, but they're hungry. They're hungry. That's why they're there. Last thing, last thing. She says, I don't understand why, I just know it is. Said, but I got the rest of my life to read scripture and figure out why. That, that's so beautiful because the reason the Pharisees couldn't get saved is because they wanted to know why up front. I'm withholding response to this until I know why. And you know what? That's probably a part of our problem too. The Bible says in Romans 5, uh, sorry, Proverbs 5, lean not on your own understanding, but in your, all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. He will direct your path. Sometimes we hold ourselves back. Well, you know, things change. Things are different. We're like, ah, I... I don't know what's happening here. Even this morning, Chris and I were talking. It's like in the worship, we felt like some people are holding back. And it's, well, they're trying to figure out where they're going. You know what? The prescription for faith is you don't have to figure out where you're going. Oh, boy, that didn't go over well. I felt a ripple in the force. <laughs> Lean not on your own understanding. One of the things that keeps us as conservative Christians stuck out of the supernatural is we want, to, we want to be sure that everything's safe. Everything's okay. I want to, if I understand this and it's safe, then I'll step in. Nothing is built on that in the kingdom of God. It always requires faith, risk, diving in. My mom told me as a young Christian, people are going to be telling you all the time, watch out for this, watch out for that, watch out for that. She said, listen, Satan is more clever than you, but the Holy Spirit has been given to lead you into all truth. If you see any truth on anything, dive in and let the Holy Spirit handle the error. And so that's what I do all the time. I don't understand this. 
I don't even stand. I even may think, well, there's excess in that, and there's problems here, but I just dive in anyways. Let the Holy Ghost deal with it. I don't know what it is. I see life. I want life. I'm going for life. We need to do that as a church, as a people. Amen? Because something's coming, and I don't want it to pass us by. I want that flood. I mean, imagine if, if in every one of your lives, 10 people started to have convergence experiences like this. Where suddenly you start being awoken and scriptures being spoken to their, or they're, you know, just words, and then they come up and you say the very words that they said. Why'd you say? I don't know, I just felt like saying it. Well, what's that about? Well, that might be Jesus. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in the earth. Lord, I thank you that despite the fact that evil is coming to maturation, righteousness is coming to fullness. Righteousness is growing in maturity, and life conquers darkness. So we trust you today. Holy Spirit, we trust you. Hallelujah. I wonder if the worship team can come, and I want us to, to sing a song where we, in the midst of the song, we can solidify just this simple direction to say, Holy Spirit, I trust you. Holy Spirit, can we do that today? Holy Spirit, I trust you. I want to know what you can do. Holy Spirit, I want to see what you can do for my husband, for my sickness, for, for the circumstances in our lives. I, Holy Spirit, I want to see what you can do. I'm not going to live in fear anymore. I believe. I believe. I want to be a part of this wave. Father, we thank you that you sent the Holy Spirit. And you said the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, will lead us into all truth. He is the divine enabler. He will take that which belongs to Christ and give it to us. So we say, Holy Spirit, we release you to do your work. Bring conviction of sin. Bring a manifestation of Jesus. Come, 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 come. Come and touch our lives, but rest upon us, we pray. Rest upon us, we pray, as we step out these doors into the marketplace. And Lord, be a fountain for the thirsty. Be a, be a guiding light to those who are in darkness. A city set on a hill. We believe in you. Holy One, we believe in you. Amen and amen. Well, there's so many dimensions to what I believe God is doing in our lives right now. But it's all unto one end, that the world would know who he is. So, Lord, do that, we pray in Jesus' name.